Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today we will be covering the episode of Baby Lisa Irwin, most famously known for Baby Lisa. At the time Lisa was only 10 months old, she was taken from her home on October of 2011. This episode is going to be a little bit on the longer side with a lot of complicated twists and turns. Now, baby Lisa's mother was 27 years old by the name of Deborah Bradley. Her father was 29-year-old Jeremy Irwin. These two were engaged to be married, and they actually had one child each that they brought in from a previous relationship. At the time of the relationship, Deborah had a son named Michael, and he was six years old. Now, I did want to mention full disclosure about all the details prior and leading up to all the things we got information on. So Deborah was previously in a relationship with a guy named Sean. They both worked at a convenience store and it looked as though Deborah's mother Lisa had passed away when Deborah was only 15 years old. Now Deborah named her daughter Lisa after her mother. Absolutely. And according to sources, Lisa, Deborah's mother, was an alcoholic and struggled with alcohol up until her death. It was bad that Lisa's sisters would have to actually come over and watch the kids before she had ended up passing on. Deborah did not have a good relationship with her father, so she ended up with Sean and left and lived with him and his mother, Hazel. Hazel had one rule. They were not to have sex in her house. If they were found out, then she would have them leave because Hazel had a lot of children of her own and she was grateful for the help because Deborah had a motherly instinct when it came to caring for children. Now, Sean, by the way, was Hazel's stepson. Everyone was content for a period of time, but it did not last very long because Deborah and Sean got caught having sex. Now, Hazel then indicated that if they were going to start acting like adults, that they were going to have to be adults. Sean went and enlisted, and Deborah started planning their wedding. Deborah got permission to get married at 17 and they moved to North Carolina where she had her first son, Michael. Their relationship did get difficult and in 2007, Sean did finish his service and the two of them plus Michael moved back to Missouri to live with Deborah's father, David. Looks like the couple was now struggling financially, so Sean was having a very hard time finding a job and they had a lot of financial stress. Now due to financial issues, the two of them ended up splitting up, but they remained married. They couldn't afford a divorce. Somehow, Deborah ended up finding her way back to Hazel's, Sean's stepmother. Deborah claimed that she wanted to go back to school since she didn't get a chance to finish since she had, you know, left home so young. Instead of that happening, Deborah started to sneak around. She would take Hazel's truck in the night when everyone was sleeping without permission, and Hazel never even knew where she went. She viewed this as a break of trust, and she asked Deborah to leave the house yet again. Eventually, Deborah got a job at a Payless shoe store. That is where she ended up meeting Jeremy Irwin. He was an electrician, also with a son from a previous relationship. Now, when it comes to Jeremy's past, there isn't a lot written about it, but he does have a son that was eight years old at this time. Yeah, the only details I was able to find was that his mother's name was Razleen and she did not have custody of their son. Jeremy had custody as early as 2008 and she was only allowed to have supervised visits that could be arranged by Jeremy. 
Now, Razaline did not take advantage of seeing her son. She had only seen him a couple of times since he was only two years old. And then shortly after, Deborah and Jeremy ended up having baby Lisa on November 11th of 2010. Now, Jeremy enjoyed having a partner to be a stay-at-home mom, take care of his son, so they can cover the cost of daycare. Deborah was a stay-at-home mother, and Jeremy worked as an electrician, and they lived at 600 North Lister Avenue in Kansas City. Now, on October 3rd of 2011, Jeremy was working during the day, as he normally does. He would normally get home around 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, this particular day, coincidentally... Jeremy had to go back to work because he actually just started a new job and they were remodeling a local Starbucks. And before this took place, Jeremy had never worked at night before. This was a very unusual routine for the family. While Jeremy was home, Deborah and her brother Philip went to the grocery store. There is footage on surveillance of them going to the grocery store. They ended up purchasing some diapers, baby wipes, and a box of wine. Now, the timestamp on this grocery store was approximately 4.30 p.m. Deborah and her brother got back to the house at around 5, and Jeremy left shortly after that to go back to work. Jeremy knew that he was going to be working late, but he decided to let them know that he was going to be coming back at approximately 11 or 11.30. Now, according to Deborah, she was also busy that evening getting the children ready for bed. She had put baby Lisa in bed at approximately 6.40 p.m. that evening. And at that time, a neighbor by the name of Samantha had her four-year-old daughter, and the two of them stopped by to hang out. Samantha's daughter played with Deborah's sons while Samantha went to the store to get her own wine. Now, around 7 p.m., Deborah sent the kids out on the couch so that they could go watch a movie. Now, baby Lisa was in bed. Deborah and Samantha decided to go onto the front porch where they were smoking cigarettes and drinking their wine and talking. Right before this happened, Deborah checked to see if baby Lisa was okay. And she noticed Lisa was standing up in her crib. And this was the last time Deborah had seen Lisa. At least that's what she could remember. I'm assuming that she settled her down. The kids were getting ready to watch the movie. And it was a weekend, so... They were letting everybody stay up a little later. As Deborah and Samantha were drinking outside, a teenager by the name of Shane, at 7.30 p.m., he was outside of his own grandmother's house, which was actually pretty close by, and he was smoking a cigarette. Deborah and Samantha actually called him over. He was pretty new to the area, and he had never chatted with them before, so he figured he'd hang out, and they spent approximately 90 minutes chatting. Shane had claimed he did not see the women actively drinking at this time. He can tell they were drinking, though. They were being very chatty, giggly, and kind of loud. And now it was a little after 10, and Deborah told Samantha that she was going to go in for the night. From what I pick up on this particular situation, she was definitely really drunk by 10 p.m. I do feel like this was a common occurrence for her, and obviously being given by her upbringing, it's not a surprise. I feel like her mother physically taught her that alcohol makes everything better. Even though she had seen her mother die from it, she still felt when she drank alcohol that her and her mom were somehow reunited, I guess. And I would also say she had at least five to seven glasses of wine. 
I feel like she was getting really sick and she did have to go lay down. I do see that she stumbled into her home just a little bit and checked on everyone, including Lisa. I do believe that Lisa was there when she checked on her. I do feel like she checked on all of the kids, got them ready for bed, and made sure, you know, they went to bed. I also feel like she was drinking because of the financial pressure that was going on. And I know her fiancé was working, but it still wasn't enough, and I can see that she was very stressed out about this. Her relationship with Jeremy was also strained and not completely solid at this point either. Samantha and her daughter ended up going home so she could put her own kid to bed. She wasn't done for her evening, though. She did return outside so that she could have another cigarette. Now, Samantha claims that she had seen that the lights in Deborah's home were turned off. Shane also went outside to have a cigarette and he and Samantha were chatting from each other's homes. Shane says that he did not see Deborah outside and he had seen none of the kids at all when it came to communicating with either one of these women. Now, Samantha ended up going inside for the evening at 11.30 p.m. and at 3.45 in the morning, a tired Jeremy came home from work. He worked much later than he expected, and he was very annoyed to find that the front door was unlocked. He had walked around the house because he had noticed all the lights were on, turning off all the lights. And from what Jeremy suggested, he was pissed off. He was trying to preserve energy and save on the bills because, again, they were financially struggling. And he was shutting the lights off as he was going through. Now, throughout the house, he noticed that the computer room had the window open. Now, when he went over to close it, he noticed that the screen was pushed in and it was broken. Jeremy then walked into the bedroom where Deborah was fast asleep. And then he went into his son's room and he saw that he was sleeping there. However, when he went to his daughter's room, she was not in her crib. Confused, he went back to his bedroom, asked where the baby was, and then decided to continue to keep looking in the house, screaming for Lisa. At this point, Deborah obviously had fallen to the floor sobbing uncontrollable. I really feel like the reason she fell to the floor sobbing is because she felt like it was her fault because she did drink pretty heavily that night and she regretted that decision instantly. Jeremy took a flashlight outside. He had even gone over to Samantha's house to see if baby Lisa was there. They had three phones in their house. Now, one was Jeremy's phone. One was Deborah's which was not working at the time. And also Deborah was used, had her grandfather's phone and that's the phone she was using until she ended up getting hers fixed. And by fixed, we mean turned back on. Jeremy, when he got his phone from the charger, all three phones were missing. Now, Jeremy did not take his phone with him to work. These were all just left in the house. Luckily, Jeremy had his own work phone to use. So he was able to take his work phone and call 911. Now, baby Lisa had a Barney doll that she loved, doesn't go to bed without it, and Jeremy had it during the news broadcast. So sad. That really, really affected me, that one. The window being open wasn't odd. They did often leave the window open in the house. Now, I know it was a little bit of a cooler time, but me and Landon are also people who enjoy nice, brisk air coming in because it gets hot very easily, especially in stuffy homes, so... I don't think that's unusual. At 4.10 a.m., the police arrived. The Amber Alert went out, and then they canceled it because they didn't have information on the suspect. 
Police also did not believe that baby Lisa had been abducted. Now, Deborah was being accused of being the one who took her. Now, she had a polygraph test, and apparently they said that she was a bad mom and that she had failed the polygraph test. They really focused solely on Deborah. So we believe there was a lot of missed opportunities to find Lisa here. I understand that we as a society need to be able to make sure that the parents have no involvement in it, and that's fine. But it shouldn't be the only focus unless you have solid, substantial proof that the person committed the crime. Absolutely. Like with, for instance, like Duke Flores, we knew exactly his parents were not very good people. So focusing on them was the best. But we had no proof that Deborah was a bad mom. Exactly. Now, they spent too much time on the Deborah side of things, even with all that information. Why is it that we can find so much information on Deborah and, you know, all these mistakes she made leading up to her daughter's disappearance? And then we can't find anything on Jeremy because no one even thinks that Jeremy did it because he was at work. So they just don't suspect him. (sighs) If somebody does not portray that picture perfect type of parent automatically, they did something, you know. And I'll be honest, I was a young mom. I was 19 when I became a mom. I wish I had waited until I was 30. I would have made better choices for my daughter, but because I still have a 20-something-year-old brain at the time, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. We don't think about the consequences as harshly as we do now, at least in my 30s and 40s. That's what I believe. The biggest issue with some, not all, the 20-year-old mindset. I had a I don't give a fuck attitude and I know I didn't sit there getting drunk off my ass, but I did sometimes after my kid went to bed, hung out, you know, possibly had a drink here or two and maybe a jello shot. Definitely smoked some weed. It was that time to wind down. And I'm not taking away from the mistakes that Deborah made because she did make a lot of mistakes, but I also feel like she didn't really know any better. This was how she was raised. This is how she took on the world. Now, with that being said, I really feel the love that Deborah has for her daughter. If anything, I feel like she was extremely overwhelmed with being a mom, if not only to her own son, but it is difficult to be a parent to another child. We have no idea, you know, what she had to deal with on a regular basis. She was a stay-at-home mom, and that job is by far the hardest job in the entire world. Absolutely. And you know, it all goes back to your environment and children learn what they live. So if they see their parents getting drunk and doing drugs all the time, probably going to do that too. And if you don't get any break or any sort of assistance, it makes things a lot harder. Exactly. And when it comes to Jeremy, it was his first day on this particular job and he was working in the evening and this was a new routine for them. She didn't anticipate for her daughter to be taken. And I can see that she wanted a daughter more than anything else she wanted that bond and she had that bond with her mom and I see that little Lisa was everything and more and really well-behaved kid honestly now the lawyer was able to get his hands on the lie detector test and the lawyer said that in fact she did not fail the lie detector test and the police just wanted her to confess You know, it's a lot to be interrogated by police, but the police were extremely suspicious of Deborah and announced that publicly. Absolutely. And the police and baby Lisa's parents were no longer communicating and the parents were done with the press conferences. The police, 
the same day did their own press conference and indicated that the parents were no longer being cooperative. I mean, I wouldn't be either if you're telling me that I took my own child and did something with it when I'm telling you I clearly didn't. You're wasting all of this precious time. And we all know that with children, you have 72 hours to find them. And you're wasting your time, like, coming down on Deborah. Absolutely. I really believe that that was the turning point when media started to really second guess everything, which is why I believe that social media side of things suspect Deborah, which is a shame because I really believe that she did not do anything in any capacity to take her child. Now, everyone started to get suspicious about Deborah and Jeremy, especially Deborah. Police searched landfills to look for baby Lisa, looking for any sort of body looking in the trash that's associated with you know their neighborhood and specifically their home which is crazy because they cannot search a landfill that we know of without substantial evidence what substantial evidence did they find here right you can't go do for somebody who actually might be in a landfill you're saying it's too much but nobody stated that lisa was in a landfill so why did they even go in that direction exactly the window was small and that was tampered with. And I feel like that's something they could have done later on. Now, also, Deborah changed her story a couple of times, which makes sense. She was drinking heavily that night. Unfortunately, she doesn't remember how much she did have, but she had enough to not remember. So clearly she's going to change her story as the pieces start coming back to her. She couldn't remember if she had checked on Lisa or not. Then she admitted that she may have been too drunk that night to see her daughter the night of her daughter's disappearance and that she also took anxiety medication and she takes it in the morning. Now, anybody who has taken anxiety medicine, we all know, which people seem to think like, oh, she was drinking and took the medication. No, the medication was way worn off in her system. I've taken anxiety medication. And if you take it in the morning, probably by three, four in the afternoon, it's wore off and you're already back to that high peak of anxiety at this point. So the alcohol just takes that edge off because she can't have no more anxiety medication until the next morning now. Good point. Thank you. Like I said earlier, I do believe she checked on her. I just believe that she doesn't remember because of the level of alcohol in her system. Now, they did have one other suspect in mind, which was a John Tanko. Now, he was a homeless drifter, and he was in the Irwin's neighborhood at the time. He worked as a handyman for their neighbor. He would often go by the name of Jersey, so we would call him Jersey here as well. Now, Jersey was around a lot in the neighborhood. He was very suspicious and shady. Now, let's give you a little background on Jersey. Now, Jersey did have a girlfriend. Her name was Megan. And Jersey would often mow the lawn at the, you know, the neighborhood of where Lisa lived and then go back to her place. Now, the way that the neighborhood was where they lived was on a bit of a hill. And then there was another complex just above that. Now, these two particular individuals would take the shortcut to get back to Megan's house. Yes. Not a lot of people do it, but I mean, if you don't have a vehicle, it's the easiest way to get around. Now, this particular day, he was staying at a neighborhood home earlier in the day. He was doing like yard work. And there was another neighbor that noticed that the sprinklers on this particular home that he was home sitting with and taking care of the yard, that those sprinklers were on at 11 p.m. And then approximately 11.15 p.m., they were turned off. And a neighbor had seen a man that had a baby that was just not dressed for the weather at the time. And it was 2 a.m. 
Now, another witness said that they saw a man coming out of the woods holding a baby. Now, a lot of people speculating that he was bringing this baby to Megan because she had lived in this area. The other key factor here is that this particular individual, Jersey, had a fascination with starting fires. He actually had been charged for arsenic in the past. There was a dumpster fire and the dumpster fire happened in and around the time that Lisa had gone missing and there were baby clothes in it. Now, just 10 days before that, Jersey ended up lighting a fire to Megan's car. And in and around that time, the two of them ended up breaking up. Seems like the guy was pissed off that she broke up with him and he decided to take measures into his own hands. Now, multiple witnesses had stated that they had seen him, Jersey, or a man with a baby that was pretty much naked at the time. And that was alarming for this time of year. Again, this was in the fall. We're getting into winter here, so it is a little more chillier. Let's go back to the phone situation. Remember the three phones? Now, the Irwin had three phones. Remember they went missing? Well, somebody actually made a phone call from one of the phones. It lasted about 50 seconds. The call was answered and that call went to Megan's phone. Now, Deborah and Jeremy's phones did not work as they could not pay the bill, but they certainly had that third phone, which was Deborah's grandfather's phone that was working at the time, which was the phone that they were using. So it's possible that this did take place. Megan also happened to live with seven other people. Now, from what I can gather, a lot of the people who were living with her at the time were trying to get their like lives sorted out and obviously broke and potentially addictions. Apparently, she was the only one that had a working phone in that home at the time. Now, she believes that the phone was in possession by a man named Dane Greathouse, also known as DJ Diggler. Now, Megan's roommate had informed her that Dane was getting a lot of calls on this particular day. He basically hogged the phone all night. Now, police found no connection with Megan or Dane. And only six months after baby Lisa Irwin went missing, he had gone to jail for stabbing somebody. Now, Dane was contacted by a PI to talk about what happened. And he told him that he needed to fill up his tank and give him $100,000 in order for him to talk. Now, how wonderful. Couldn't help with the investigation or helping to find a missing child, but can certainly ask for, you know, a full tank of gas and $100,000. Sounds a little suspicious there to me. Ain't it wild? But also super telling. We're going to piece all of these pieces together here. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah, I am. Well, the first thing is first. Is baby Lisa still alive? She absolutely is. And we are about to take you on one hell of a wild ride. I was going to say that not only do I believe that she's alive, but I believe she's being taken care of pretty well, even if it's a really fucked up situation. But I'll explain every possible detail I can. Well, let's start from the beginning. The beginning of the story does not start when Lisa went missing, but about two or three weeks prior. And from what I gather, Deborah would take her daughter out to go grocery shopping to do things while, you know, the other kids are at school. I feel like there was this particular afternoon where she had taken her, and I believe that the same store that she had actually gone to with her brother, so we should pull up that footage. But anyways, she had stopped multiple times in this particular store because people kept commenting on how gorgeous her daughter was and how her eyes were so blue and captivating. And I see that this woman had been looking for like a perfect child, exactly what she was looking for and 
basically more than what she had imagined. Now, can you describe this woman? Definitely rich. She was dressed to the nines. I see that her hair was done in perfect place. She had dark black hair, pretty long, but this particular day it was curly. I can see that she had a Chanel bag, a very nice vehicle. She was struggling inside and something that took place in her life had happened just previously. I'm seeing that she sits at about age 35 at this point. Do you see what she was struggling with inside? From what I gather, she was pregnant for about two or three weeks previously. I see that she had lost a child. She had a very unhealthy relationship with her husband and he was often away on business. I actually keep feeling some sort of vibe for possibly being a broker, maybe in the stock market. Anyways, I am sensing that she had done many, many rounds of IVF and I'm seeing that she finally had a successful pregnancy after trying for at least 10 years, maybe even more. And unfortunately, like the other pregnancies, she had lost this baby. I do feel as though she didn't really tell anyone. I feel like she just snapped, pretended she was still pregnant. I would say that she at least was about a little shy under five months pregnant at the time she lost this baby. I was also feeling some, you know, high-end, high-maintenance, hoity-toity type of rich woman as well. So I'm glad we are on the same page. Oh, absolutely. And I see that she wasn't always rich. I would say she got very lucky. She made money being a model. feel like her husband married her based upon her looks, and that was it. And she did have a pretty poor past. I do believe that she had some sort of relationship with this Dane guy, aka DJ Diggler. He helped her out a lot. Now, she wasn't always, you know, rich, but she had a few henchmen. I'm seeing that she was located in Texas and I'm still feeling that way even now. Did her husband know that she had lost the baby that she was pregnant with? That's a good question. He did not. They were on the rocks already. Plus, he was away a lot. I'd say nine months out of the year. Now, she was obsessed with being pregnant. She got the entire child's room set up within a month of being pregnant. In fact, I feel like she suffered pretty dramatically and no sense of reality until she got what she wanted. Now, she had thought in her mind that she was going to get a baby. I know she could have gone the adoption route and stuff but in her mind she wasn't interested in that and she was looking for her daughter that someone stole from her now depression and anxiety are very common with people who have lost children but some women also may develop some other issues such as post-traumatic stress disorder or ocd as well after losing a child I would say she definitely suffers from PTSD, but I also say a lot of other little things are wrong with her. It's like a switch went off. I don't see that she ever did much crime. Well, what about these quote unquote henchmen? I'm seeing that they would get her imported things, certain cigarettes, smuggling products, maybe makeup, maybe certain foods even. I'm not exactly sure. Nothing around kids though. So she would pay them for these sorts of odd end jobs? Yes, she absolutely would. Was this the first time that she had seen baby Lisa? That particular time, yes. 
maybe even a little bit more than that later on. I keep seeing like a Walmart and a Kmart, even a Target could even be all three. I'm seeing a little baby and her eyes are light skin and captivating. And you know, that moment you have a baby connecting with you and your uterus calls out to you in that moment. That's kind of what happened here. So she sees baby Lisa. Had she engaged with her? Yes, there was definitely a baby aisle. And from what I see, Deborah was paying attention to a clearance aisle. She wasn't away from Lisa, but this woman was attached to paying attention to her because she was smiling. Lisa was very active this particular day. And I think this woman felt that moment that she needed to be with her, have her. I even believe she was trying to come up with methods to steal her in that moment in the store. Yikes. This poor kid had no idea what was even coming to her. She just started her life with her family, and she's supposed to be in the happiest parts of her life, the most stress-free moments. Absolutely. I know it's really hard to see her happy as can be, but in my visions, I know it's to come. So what happened next? This woman followed her home, of course. She studied this family for a while, at least a month, and I see that she found moments to be close to her by going and following the family. She started to come up with the perfect idea, and she watched Deborah in disgust. Making excuses to process logic for taking a baby. Pretty much. She had seen that Deborah liked to drink, and hell, she even thought about offering money for Lisa, but she knew that Deborah wouldn't take it. She stalked them from what looks like forever, learned their patterns. She was spotted at some point. So she decided to call her DJ friend, DJ Dane, or whatever the hell his name is. She gave him the biggest job possible and he accepted it for a very nice price. I'm seeing $100,000 and he accepted. Shocking. This is where things get even crazier. As if it's not crazy enough already. (laughs) You're telling me. Now, I'm seeing that he and Jersey were buddy-buddy. Smoked some bud together, snort some coke. He was already going through it really bad with Megan, and Dane had helped him set Megan's car on fire for him, so he felt like Jersey owed him a favor. So he asked Jersey to take this baby? Yeah, and for free. A payback, if you will, for lighting Megan's car on fire. He did mention if he wanted to steal anything else... He was welcome to it. So DJ Douchebag gets $100,000 and Jersey gets zero. That's very balanced. Oh, yeah. I think Dane positioned it in a way that he would get this money after the delivery. But we will talk about that part a little later. Now, was the night they abducted baby Lisa the first time they attempted to take her? Nope. I know that Jeremy does not work nights previously in this particular case. I also don't see that they went out very often, at least in the evenings. I think that it was like, you know, you can come home from work, watch TV, hang out with the kids, eat some food. Sometimes a brother-in-law would come over. Sometimes they would talk to his friends and definitely Samantha would come over too and hang out whenever she could. I don't feel like what happened the night that I'm feeling, but I'm sensing that Jeremy and everybody was all in bed and I'm thinking that that's when the window thing screwed up. I'm seeing that he was trying to get in but he was also trying to get like a layout of the home. I really believe that he was carrying a weapon with him too and he was to answer the phone at this particular date and I do believe that he would have you know killed the entire family 
if he had been caught. Wow, that is very wild. Now, how long ago was that before they were actually successful? I'm thinking it was the weekend before, the Friday before. So they had this window broken that long without even noticing it? I'm sensing that they were extremely distracted with all the financial stress going on. I feel like they both were too distracted with their lives to notice. And I'm sensing that one of the kids knew something. I'm seeing that one of the boys woke up at some point and may have seen this guy, but he was a little sleepy. Well, obviously, he wasn't able to get in. And then he just comes back the next day. Now, I feel like their ducks were all in a row for this particular day. I'm sensing that they may have been having a conversation outside, perhaps between Jeremy and his brother-in-law. And I'm seeing two men having conversations about work. I feel like he told his brother-in-law like he had to go back to work. And I feel like that's when the plan was put together right in that moment. Were they watching Deborah and Samantha when they were outside? I feel like there was some sort of surveillance, perhaps Jersey checking in to make sure that, you know, the coast is clear to get in. And I'm seeing they were running out of time because I think they knew that Jeremy had planned to come back at 11, between 11 and 1130. That's right. I don't believe they had drugged Deborah or anything like that. They were thinking about drugging her, but then they realized she was already pretty drunk, so they didn't need to do anything like that. How long were they in the house? I'm seeing that Deborah was not feeling good and she didn't really notice much of anything going on. I see that Jersey was really good at picking locks. I don't necessarily feel like he needed to pick this lock as I feel like the door was already unlocked. But since he tried to get in from the back, he saved himself some time. If he did get noticed, he was going to shoot somebody because he, again, had a gun. Was Jersey the one who had turned on all the lights in the house? I'm seeing that he was the one to turn on all the lights. And they weren't that bright. And I'm thinking it was just so he could see his way out. I'm seeing that baby Lisa was already awake and stirring. And when he came into her room, I see that she looked at him and was confused, of course. But he didn't really think anything too badly. I think that she was confused more than anything. And I believe he grabbed her second. And I believe that he grabbed the phones first. I mean, I know why he grabbed the phones because he's poor. But why did he grab the phones? sheer and utter panic. I'm seeing that he was supposed to come back much earlier, but it didn't work out that way. And I'm seeing that he didn't have another phone, perhaps maybe even a landline or something so he could have a conversation with Dean. But it had been a few hours and he was supposed to call Dean back and didn't have another moment to waste. He didn't grab anything else of baby Lisa's belongings? From what I know, this guy had no connection didn't really knew anything about children in any capacity. He had no idea what he's doing or what she needed. She had a blanket there. And of course, she didn't have a choice and he didn't grab anything. And he carries her out of the home and he headed directly towards the forest. He told Dean that he'd be ready and he had the kid. And I believe Dean was the one who told him to take the clothes off and burn it. And he also removed the phones from their home to delay them from calling the police. Now, did he take the baby to Dean? Oh, yes. Good old Dean, our neighborhood henchman. I believe that Dean obtained the baby, obviously. And at this point, she was extremely cold and uncomfortable and a little cranky. And I'm seeing that he changed her into something else and put her hat on. I feel like they put her in boys' clothes. And I'm sensing that there was like a bucket hat too. I see that they handed her off to this woman and this woman had all sorts of toys and clothes and everything you can think of already in the vehicle. And then where did they take her? I'm seeing a private jet. 
the private jet had taken her to one of her properties, maybe that he owned, something he didn't use often. I'm also seeing that her partner was out of town and was going to be out of town for quite some time. So she decided she was going to go out of town as well. She let her husband know that she needed some time to relax because the baby was coming, not that he cared too much. I don't feel like they really had any sort of genuine relationship other than updating each other here and there. Where did she take her on this jet? I'm feeling like it was somewhere tropical and I keep seeing swirling around Brazil. I don't see where they went, though. I don't think she told anyone where she was going. How did she even end up having a whole baby without her husband even noticing? Well, from what I can see, I see that she concocted an early birth. She may have used another child that she was related to somewhere to show him that she gave birth to this kid and I feel like she took photos from the internet to show that she had a baby. I'm seeing that the husband wanted to help but she told him to stay and work. I'm also seeing that this woman made it sound like she was really sick and basically disappeared for a year. <laughs> Somehow she was able to convince her husband that this was his daughter, her daughter. I don't see that he had any discrepancies with that. Baby Lisa changed quite drastically in her appearance. That is pretty crazy. Did he ever question her at all? Not that I can see. She changed her birthday. I see that she was able to get legal documents. <laughs> and by legal, I mean not. I guess she had enough money to pay people off. The vision is quite clear. I'm thinking she told her husband. Okay, I'm seeing it now. She told her husband she was going to go to Brazil. But in reality, she was actually staying close by in the same country. So baby Lisa was born in November of 2010, so she is coming up on her 13th birthday here soon. Now, from what I gather, she had a pretty good financial life. I do see that the father figure wasn't too good in the first five years, but she grew up and I feel like they had a better relationship. He worked a lot less and I think he's actually got a better relationship with baby Lisa than the abductee mother. I do feel like she does really show this kid that she cares and the husband and the wife did split and they do take turns taking care of this child, which is why I believe the father was able to obtain a better relationship with Lisa. This is so insane. It really is. And the crazier part of the story is that I do feel like baby Lisa will be found and I'm sensing she might be found in Texas, maybe even Florida. She's good. She could potentially be in two different places, maybe. And when I say dad and mom, I don't really mean dad and mom. I mean, like, you know, dad figure. He could be in Texas and she could be in Florida or vice versa. Lisa definitely goes by a different name. I'm sensing something starting with an S, maybe uh, Sarah, something in that family. I'm also feeling she has uh, light features like the father figure. And he doesn't really question anything in relation to her looks because there is some sort of similarities. So do you know when potentially maybe that baby Lisa will be found? I'm sensing that when she gets to the age of 18, I'm seeing that she's going to go into a career. I'm seeing medical field and I'm seeing that she will have to enroll in her school. She may need to take some blood tests and perhaps maybe end up finding something about 
her blood, which might be strange. And I feel like she may end up comparing her blood to her family's blood. And I don't think she'll end up finding it all on her own, but it'll be weird and she'll start questioning people. Will this woman ever receive justice for what she has done? I honestly don't know. Lisa may not want to go in that direction, but then again, the police may press charges. She may even keep this secret for several years. I feel like she will find her family and I feel like she'll be able to reconnect with her real mom and dad and siblings. And I really hope it happens sooner than later. I don't see that she was abused or anything along those lines. Is there anything else you want to share? I'm thinking that this Dean guy may have something up his sleeves. He may at some point come out of the woodwork explaining that he was a victim of a crime. All he'll do is make it worse. And I think Jersey has no idea that Dean got any of this money other than like he's like, oh shit, the woman didn't really pay me. Which, by the way, Dean ended up spending all his money very quickly on nonsense. I hope it was worth it. You have a very heavy sentence when you go to the bad place. But hey, what do I know? Well, this was a very intriguing episode. I do appreciate you sharing all of this with us. I know that these types of cases are a bit difficult. They definitely are. And if the family, so I'm talking about mom and dad, want to try and pinpoint a location, they can join us on the Facebook group and we can share those details with them. One of us and our team, it will anyway. Well, next week we will be covering the West Mesa Murders Part 1. A lot of cases attached to this one, so it may be quite a while before we get through all of them. But until next time, guys, stay freaked out. <laughs>